Are you looking for the right school for your child? If you would love to find the best school for your child, you're in for a treat because in today's episode, I'll be sharing not only how to find the right school for your child, but also how to guarantee that you'll get some of the best offers from the best schools in your area. If you're new here, welcome to The Joe Randolph Show, a show for women and mothers to discover simple and easy ways to increase their feeling of joy every day. I'm your host, Joy Randolph. I'm a qualified well-being coach and a wife and a mother that's obsessed with discovering easier ways to create a healthier and happier life. On this show, we discuss simple things we can do to increase joy in our relationships, in our family, in our health, and also our career. Now let's dive into today's episode, choosing the right school for your child. I'm guessing you either have young children and are looking to pick the right school for them, or you already have a child that is at school, but you are moving and you would like to make the next choice a good one. No matter what stage you're at, I know how stressful this decision can be. You love your child, you want them to be happy, but you also want what's best for them. You want them to thrive and you really fear getting this decision wrong. I can relate. When I started looking for schools for my first child, I actually started looking when I was pregnant because I read somewhere on Tatler that if you want to send your child to some of the best schools in the country, the waiting lists are so long that if you want a chance of actually even getting a space, you need to register your child when you're pregnant or latest before your child turns one. Now this sounds ridiculous for a lot of people. It's like, what, why would you be looking when you're pregnant? I mean, how do you even describe what your child's personality or abilities are like? My baby is so active. She kicks so much in the womb. It sounds insane, but that was really the first seed that was planted in my head about how you need to be really forward thinking and how you actually need to plan and really think through which schools you want to send your child to and what school is right for your child. Because if you don't think about it early enough, you can actually miss out on some amazing opportunities for your child. Now, fast forward to now, my child is four and she is getting ready for reception or elementary, depending on where you're listening to this episode. And she has actually received offers from all the schools that we like, including some of the best in the country. And we have been in the privileged position to be able to choose our favorite one. Now, I feel incredibly lucky to share this, but I say this not to brag or to say I'm lucky, but to say I've actually figured out how to get offers from all the schools that you hopefully like for your child. Now, one thing to factor in is that I have actually looked at 50 schools, which sounds like a lot, but it's because I was looking at schools in London, in Oxford, and also in the Cotswolds, which are three areas that are renowned for having some amazing schools. And what I realized in the process is that there are so many schools and Every school is actually very different, but every family is different. 
and every child is different. And so it's really important to think about what is right for you. Now, I actually want to start with the five common myths people believe that are not only false, but are actually pitfalls that make it difficult to pick the right school. The first one is I've got plenty of time to think about schools. I'd say about 90% of the mothers I know think they have time. They'll say something like, my child is only two. My daughter is only one. My son is only three and I think we'll go here, but I'm not really worried about it. I'm sure we'll get a place and everything will be fine. We'll decide closer to the deadline. When people say this, it breaks my heart because I wish they knew what I have come to learn, which is that time is not something that you wait to pass and then you take an action. Rather, time is your tool to make the right decision. With time, you can attend more open days, more than once and get a real sense of the school. With time, you can relocate to the catchment area of the best state school in the best neighborhoods. With time, your child can be at the top of the list as opposed to being on the waiting list. And with time, you can also raise your child in a way that gives them the best chance at getting an offer and being selected by elite schools. So instead of saying, I've got plenty of time to think about it, I instead think I've got plenty of time to take the right steps to not only find the right school, but give my child the best chance of getting in. The second myth that I hear is my friend's children go to that school they say is great, so I'm sure it'll be good for my child too. Mothers more often move in groups. Our friends' reviews can be so influential in our lives. If a mother says, have you heard of this baby class or this play group or gymnastics club or dance club? It's so good. Nine times out of 10, if we're looking for a club like that, we are signing up so quickly. Moms are actually probably the best referrers for small businesses, but this is problematic with schools because even if your friend rates the school, you don't know why they chose that school in the first place. You don't know how many schools they looked at. You don't know what their financial situation is like. And you also don't know if their child could have even thrived and been happier at a different school. And above all, your children are different people. You probably have different values as a family and different needs and expectations of your child. So it's really, really important to not be as influenced by your friends about school choices, as tempting as it may be, because this ends up casting a shadow over your child's infinite possibilities. The third myth is I can't afford a private school for my child, so it's not even worth looking. It breaks my heart to hear that some families aren't even looking at private schools because they worry they can't afford it. Now, it may be true that it could be out of your budget, but 
it's not true that only wealthy families send their children to private schools for a couple reasons. Firstly, private schools often offer bursaries. For example, elite schools like Eton and Harrow that charge 46,000 pounds or something a year just to attend there. They have a significant number of students whose families could nowhere near afford that kind of education. And in fact, they actually have quite a few students that have lived in certain parts of London that are known for crime, where the children actually go to a state school and they have lived in a council estate all their life. They also have students that come from middle-class families that earn the average income in the UK and could also not afford a school of this stature. In other words, schools actually can provide opportunities for children irrespective of their family's financial situation or economic background. The only kids that get offers for these types of schools are the, the kids that dream of the life they want to have after they graduate and they study so hard and they get the grades and they just take a shot hoping that just maybe, maybe they'll get a bursary or some sort of opportunity to study there. Some schools offer bursaries that are provided according to your household income and assets. Senior schools typically offer scholarships and there's also financial guidance online on how to budget and figure out a way to make your pennies add up. Some employers can also help. So for example, some schools give discounts to parents who work in the NHS or who work in the military. My father used to work abroad and we would have to relocate as a family abroad. And part of his perks was that they would fund our private education. And so most of my education was private with the exception of, I think, two years when I went to a state school in the UK. But there was a time when my dad no longer had work that funded our education and my family weren't wealthy. And so in order to keep going to a private school, my parents had to really look at their finances and make sacrifices in order to give me the opportunity to keep going to a private school. So we didn't go on holidays, we didn't buy nice stuff, I didn't have anything like really cool, but I got the opportunity to have that kind of education. So it's really not just for the wealthy. The key thing to reflect on is figure out what is right for your child and investigate and look into ways to making it work. The fourth myth is that if it's really high in the league tables, it must be the best school for my child. If you have ambitious aims for your child, it's so tempting to think, in the school league tables, the school is the best in my area, therefore it's the best for my kid. But league tables only really tell you about grades. It doesn't give you an insight into how they got the grades. Do they select for the most academically curious children and provide a nurturing environment for them and therefore they get the grades pretty easily? Or are they non-selective and they do a lot of work to add value to the child's education and therefore 
make a difference in your child's life. It also doesn't give you a sense of the student life or how they educate your child holistically. The fifth myth is that school reviews tell you things about the school that the teachers or the school doesn't tell you. Now, if you love reviews and tend to trust what other parents say about any product, whether it's prams, cars, baby products, whatever, it's really important that you do the opposite with the school selection process because some schools are a bit like Marmite. Some people love that school and other people hate it. And the people who tend to leave reviews are typically people that are really happy with school or really unhappy with the school. In every school, you'll always find raving fans and you'll also find scathing reviews. On top of that, the parents' reviews of each school typically change over time because every school year is different, every child is different, and every school goes through staff changes, policy changes, budget changes, and therefore the views about the school change again and again over the years. So what you'll find is that there are trends. In one year, one school could be a really popular choice, and in another year, another school could be a much more popular choice if let's say for example they've got a really good head it really depends on what's happening in the schools in that area and that's why instead of using reviews to kind of guide your decision instead use reviews to highlight the strengths and weaknesses of the school and you can essentially form questions when, when you're meeting the school and you're meeting the key staff, you can ask questions about some of the things you've heard and really get their take on some of the issues parents have had concerns with. Now that we've gotten the myths and pitfalls out of the way, we can start looking into how to find the right school and also how to get the offers you want for your child. Big question is, if you aren't looking based purely on what is in this area, what your friends have said, what the league tables say, what the guides say, how do you find the right school? You pick a school based on how you want your child to be educated. We often think about schools as an institution that children have attended for centuries, a place they go to learn and receive an education, and at the end of it, perhaps go to university or start some career. And from this perspective, it's natural to assume that all educate your child, and it's just a case of picking a school that you like. But I really started to look at things differently once I learned about the history of education and schools in both the UK and also the States. What I didn't know was prior to the 1870s, which is just 153 years ago, state schools did not exist. Many children did not get a traditional education like most of us have. Those that did were typically rich and could afford a fee-paying school. Now, some churches in the UK and charities did provide an education, but you 
needed to be lucky enough to live in an area that even had a church or a charity that could do this. And up until 153 years ago, most children were instead home educated and learned the basics from their parents or grandparents. What changed things was industrialization in 1870. There was a new act and this increased the need for an educated workforce. And it was then that the state decided to introduce elementary education for children aged five to 10. Now in America, you see a similar trend. Prior to the late 1800s, education was again a private practice that took place in private institutions or through homeschooling. That all changed in 1902 when John D. Rockefeller created the General Education Board with his friend, business and personal advisor, Frederick T. Gates. And the General Education Board was responsible for funding the American public school system and provided over $100 million in 1902 while continuing their support beyond 1902. Now, if you follow the money, you realize that the General Education Board was responsible for the creation of the American public school system. Now, what's interesting is the intention these two had with public schools. John D. Rockefeller famously said, I don't want a nation of thinkers, I want a nation of workers. Sharing a similar perspective of the British state in that era. And Frederick T. Gates, echoed that by saying, in our dream, we have limitless resources and the people yield themselves with perfect docility to our molding hand. We shall not try to make these people or any of their children into philosophers or men of learning or of science. We are not going to raise among them authors, orators, poets, or men of letters, we shall not search for embryo, great artists, painters, musicians, nor will we cherish even the humbler ambition to raise up among them lawyers, doctors, preachers, statesmen, of whom we now have ample supply. Now, we usually think of schools as environments to stimulate learning, but ironically, if you choose the wrong school, it can stifle the innate curiosity of your child and dim the eagerness to learn, which is often present in every child, not just the so-called bright ones. Now, if you look at the school timetable, children as young as four spend at least 32 and a half hours a week in school, over 546 weeks in their lifetime. That doesn't even include university education. Now that's about 17,445 hours in school. Now, if you were going to do anything over 17,745 hours, what would you like to do? Hopefully you'd have liked to have gained really valuable life skills, maybe developed a gift, found your passion, found your genius zone, discovered yourself, had a great time. Yet when you reflect on how the average adult feels about their life, most people 
don't know what their gift is. Most people don't know what their purpose is. Most people don't have a career they are obsessed with. And most people are only starting to discover themselves years after school, sometimes years after becoming a mom. And it's only that some people had a great time, but some people didn't. I know that I wasn't a really big fan of school. So school can actually be a great distraction from the things that you value or want for your child, particularly what you want them to learn in these primitive years, because schools can have their own purpose and their own agenda and their own aim for every child that attends that school. Which is why when I started looking at schools, I knew it was important to first think about how I want my child to be educated and which school will best meet the aims and needs of my family. So you have the chance to think about how you want your child to be educated. And you can think about this by really exploring these key questions. The first one is your vision. What vision do you have for your children? What kind of women or men do you hope they'll grow to be? The second thing is your values. Do you value academic excellence? Do you value curiosity, bravery, well-being? What values do you want a school to hold so that they can best support your child? The third thing is your principles. What are the key principles you want your children to have? Are you a conservative? Are you liberal, progressive? What do you think about Black Lives Matter? What do you think about gender issues? What key beliefs do you want to instill in your child in partnership with the school? And the fourth thing is also their childhood. What kind of childhood do you want your kids to have? Do you want them to be disciplined and focused? Do you want them to learn how to manage their time with homework and cope with the stresses of life by being in a stressful school situation? Or do you want them to be pushed and stretched? Or do you simply want them to enjoy spending time outside and really experience education in a different way? Now, once you're clear on all of this, what you've essentially written is your dream school criteria list. Save this list save it, make it easily accessible because this list is gold and you're definitely going to need it as you look at schools and are evaluating because inspectors use their own criteria to assess schools and measure their effectiveness. And you'll have your own criteria to measure schools against. And when push comes to shove and you have to make a difficult choice like I did between two or three amazing offers, you'll know with confidence and clarity which one is better for you. Because you'll pick not only just a good school, but one that will help you raise your child the way you want them to be raised and influence your child the way you want them to be influenced whilst their brain is developing. Now it's search time. How do you find the right school for your child. For those that are new to the system in the UK, I'll do a really brief overview. 
you can choose between a state school, a private school, or you can homeschool. Now, state schools are great for families that prefer not to pay for their child's education and want to expose their children to people from all sorts of economic backgrounds in the local area. And they are happy with the national curriculum and with the way the government is running the school agenda and the education that is on offer. And they also value being close to the school. It's great to do drop off within five minutes. On top of that, some schools also have really nice classroom sizes, and they even combine year groups if the class sizes are actually quite small. And you can also get excellent teachers that really care about making sure all children have great access to education. Private schools are really great for families who want smaller class sizes than the typical public school, who also want to expose their children to people from different countries and from different cultures. You know, in some schools, you have people from over 30 or 50 different countries, and also parents that want to be more involved in how the school is shaped. You know, they have more of a say than in, let's say, a state school. I also like highly qualified teachers because sometimes the pay is better and it attracts really talented staff. And also if you want personalized learning for your child, or you want more academic education, and you also want schools that provide amazing facilities and clubs. Now, homeschooling is great for families that want the smallest class size of all, that also want to expose their children to topics and materials that the parents believe are the most important to their children, that also want to have autonomy on how their child is educated because they're concerned about maybe how state schools are running things and maybe they don't have the option of an independent school in the area, that also want to connect with other home educating families that share similar values. And maybe if you also want the flexibility with your schedule, you know, some parents like to travel or some parents work and are moving a lot. And it's really helpful to be able to educate your child irrespective of how much traveling there is going on. It's also great for families with really gifted children that can't go to a private school or children with learning difficulties or children that are elite athletes or artists, actors, those that have been bullied or traumatized and really need a break from school or those that simply love to do independent learning and they really want to focus on their passions. Now, I'm not going to go more into home education because I frankly love home education and it's something that I would do if I wanted to do it, but I just don't think it's right for my family right now. But there are so many other resources and experts on this topic and they will talk you through the, the various different ways of home educating, the various different ways of, of following through with that if you want to leave a school and all that sort of stuff. So make sure that if that's something of interest to you, that you definitely still look into that. But for now, I'm really going to focus on how to pick the right school, whether it's a state school or a private school. So let's start with state schools. 
I totally recommend that you look at as many state schools as you can. Now, this might sound like a weird thing to say, as people often pick their local school as each state school in England has similar rules and guidelines anyway. However, there are still differences amongst state schools, and these differences can be the class sizes, the clubs available, the facilities, even the leaving destination schools where the majority of the students go when they graduate. And some schools are also much better at preparing your child for senior private schools, whether it's elite schools or whether it's just a, a private school. And some schools offer provide better support for children with special education needs. So it is a must that you have a look at as many schools as you can. Before you do anything, have a look and create a list of all the schools that you could tour. You can do this by checking out the government school performance tool. I'll put the link in the description and there you'll be able to filter for a location, the distance you're willing to drive, Ofsted rating, gender and religion. And you can email each school and say you'd like a tour and measure them against your dream school criteria list. One thing to factor in when you're evaluating schools against your dream criteria list is to inquire into how the budget is decided. Now, when it's a government state school, the government gives them funding and they need to do whatever they, it is they need to do with it. However, if you look into the board, what you'll find is that members of the board will also think about ways to raise money and to get additional funding. And it's really interesting to see how they decide how to fund the things that the school needs if, let's say, for example, they aren't able to get it from the state. And so for some schools, they may not have an excellent Ofsted rating, but what they might have is they might have better funding, which might be able to give your child some things that maybe you're looking for. So it's definitely worth not letting Ofsted be the only thing that you use to gauge which, which school provides some of the best results. Now, if you like a school, it's worth bearing in mind that they are selective because these schools have their own criteria for which school they give offers to. They tend to prioritize children who live close to the school and this is determined by their catchment area. And they also choose children who have a brother or sister that is already at the school or children that have a particular religion. If you're looking at a faith state school, children who are in care or who have been in care are also prioritized. And if it's a senior school, children who either pass an entrance exam for selective schools like grammar schools or children who went to a particular primary school that is called a feeder school. And they also sometimes prioritize parents have worked at the school for two years or more. This is why it's so important to look early because if you do look early and you find a school that you adore and you aren't in the catchment area, you will have enough time to explore relocating. You'll have two years, three years, four years, depending how early you look, or if you need to join a church that can support your application, you can join a church just in time. You do need to ensure that you've moved or you've joined a church before you apply. It doesn't matter if you intend to move. 
they won't really factor that into the equation. Now, if you can't move or you can't join a church in time because you're applying so close to the deadline, it's just not practical. You can simply just ask the admissions person, are you oversubscribed? How many children do you take outside the catchment area? And you may be in luck because if they are undersubscribed, they might say, we are undersubscribed and you have a good chance of being able to get an offer if you put them first on your list of your school's choice. However, if they are oversubscribed, then it's really worth noting that it's unlikely that you'll get a place and therefore it's probably more important that you don't put them first so that it doesn't mess up how they decide which school they're going to allocate your child. It's always best to put the, the school that you not only want, but that you also have a good feeling that you should have no problem getting into. Now, it's really important to be mindful of the application deadline because usually it's the academic year before your child starts school. And it's normally the January before that September they start school that year. So when it's time to list your school choice, put the school that you like the most and you have good confidence that you'll be able to get into at the time of application. And I know some people have actually taken a risk and put only one school. And sometimes they will get an offer because it's the only school they've put on the list. But this only works if the school is not oversubscribed. If the school is oversubscribed, often they'll call you back and they'll say something like, why did you only put one school? You know, you're not going to get a place. You need to list others. Otherwise, your child's not going to get a place. Now, I do know one person who was able to still get a place because they had some sort of sob story about how how they have a child that goes to another school near the area and logistically they absolutely needed it and they made they therefore made an exception but that's really rare <laughs> most of the time they'll just ask you to apply to other schools now you'll typically get feedback on which school you're child has been allocated by mid-April of the year that they are starting school, and you'll typically only have three days to accept or reject this offer. Now, if you're undecided about a state school or private school, please don't wait until you get a confirmation from the state schools about where the, your child is going there, because if you don't get the place you want, it will be too late to then apply to the private school, because at that stage, most private schools and most good private schools have already given out their offers and the parents of those children have already accepted the offers and they already have a waiting list. So please make sure that you apply to your private schools before and you accept those offers before and you can always withdraw your child from that school if you got an offer from a state school that you essentially want to keep. Now, if you ended up getting the offer that you wanted, amazing. If you don't, you always can stick with the private schools that you liked, or you can home educate. And I mentioned that, you know, you can always find resources for that. We've looked at state schools. Now let's think about private schools. There is a lot to think about when evaluating private schools because there are different types of schools. There is a city school and there's also countryside 
schools. There are single-sex schools and there are co-ed schools. There are selective schools. There are non-selective schools. There are schools that come with a nursery and schools that don't have a nursery. There are schools that provide schooling from 4 to 18, and there are schools that are only prep schools or only senior schools. And also there are boarding schools and there are day schools. I'll share a bit about each so you can get a sense of what might be better for you. But before I begin, I should probably mention the terms I'll be using. So there's pre-prep and there's prep. Now, pre-prep is school for children aged four to seven that are going to be in reception to year two. The purpose of pre-prep is to prepare your child for prep. And prep is for schools that are aged between seven or eight until they are 11 or 12. And they typically for the ages year three to year seven. Prep schools prepare students for private senior schools. Now let's start with the city or countryside school debate. City private schools are great for families that live in a city or work in a city and logistically it's just easier. They can sometimes be quite academic and they can often have a big reputation if it's a school that has a lot of history and is renowned for being one of the best in the country. And also depending on the city, these schools can be fiercely competitive and hard to get into because there just are a lot of families and there are just not enough places. And if they're really high in the league table, you betcha a lot of parents will be eyeballing that school in the city. So for example, London, in London, you're more likely to get a place if you register your child when you are pregnant or before your child turns one, because after that, the waiting list gets so long that the chances of you getting an offer are pretty slim. However, it is worth noting that head teachers of city day schools will often struggle to convince prospective parents that their country-based peers are inferior. Their stance tends to be defensive rather than offensive, because how do you argue against wide open spaces and acres of land and state-of-the-art facilities and nature? You just can't. Which brings me to countryside schools. Countryside schools are typically on the outskirts and require a car or a bus to get there, and they're not always easily accessible unless you live in the countryside or you maybe send your child to a boarding school there, but they often have amazing facilities. For example, my daughter's school, which she's attended since she was in nursery, they have their own stables so she can do horseback riding. She also plays golf because they have their own golf course and they have a filming studio and a ballet studio, 60 acres of land, a forest school, so many clubs and facilities that you can think of. It is a wild time. Now, if you value your child being outdoors and being sporty and, and all that sort of stuff, then countryside schools are the way to go. Just as an example, I did actually end up having to make a really tough decision between one of the best 
city schools in the country and one of the best girl schools in the country and also my daughter's school you know which is less known and doesn't have the same type of reputation now why would i pick a school that has less of a reputation than a school that is renowned for providing an excellent education for girls and is in the city the key reason was the values I talked about. Now, I still value that other school, and I'll talk more about this later in terms of the different types of schools, but there is still an opportunity for my daughter to go there. So I essentially rejected the offer from a great school in order for my daughter to experience the childhood that I wanted her to have in the first few years of her life. Now, I wouldn't have known that and I might not have made that choice if I hadn't made that list I talked about earlier. So this is when you really start to see the fruits of your thinking coming into fruition because you start to see, oh, okay, even if I am, I see a fancy carrot and it's dangling in front of me, Will I take a bite because it's, you know, a shiny object or will I end up choosing what is fundamentally right for what my child needs at such and such an age? Which brings me on to the next debate, which is really the single sex or co-ed schools debate. Do girls do better at all girls schools or do children do better when they are mixed? This is a big debate, which I'm not going to go too much into, but I'll summarize that from my research, I found that on average, girls do perform better at all girls schools, but boys perform better at mixed schools. One of the reasons being that in an all girls environment, girls are inspired when they're studying alongside other girls that are talented and they think if she can do it, I can too. They also communicate differently and are more brave and are more vulnerable when they are surrounded by girls compared to behaving more stereotypically in a mixed environment. A great resource for learning more about this is a podcast called On Educating Girls, Creating a World of Possibilities. I'll put the link in the description, but it looks into the studies and insights surrounding what is best for girls' education. Boys, on the other hand, on average, tend to perform better if they're studying with girls in the elementary years because girls are typically ahead of boys developmentally, behaviorally, and also in some topics academically. And so girls can actually be a good influence, someone for boys to look up to, to learn from. But at the same time, at senior school, elite schools are often single sex, particularly boarding schools, so that boys can focus on their education. Now, do you decide on a school based on their single sex philosophy or it being co-ed? Not necessarily, because there are fantastic co-ed schools that will best support your child. And there are also single-sex schools that are 100% focused on a boy's or girl's education. In other words, if it's the right school for your child, irrespective of it being co-ed or single-sex, your child will be happy and thrive there. It is, however, helpful to know these studies and to understand some of the dynamics at play so that you can reflect on what kind of environment you would like your child to be in. And if let's say, for example, like in my case, I was choosing between an elite 
one of the top girls schools in the country and a mixed school that is less renowned. When I was looking at that option, for example, I thought, you know what, even though I love girls schools, and I love to would love to choose a school that is just for girls and that understands women and understands the challenges that women face when they grow up and helps to best prepare us and teaches us all sorts of things that I wish I had learned earlier, even though that is something I value. You know, it's possible that I could look into that for senior school, for example. And it's worth noting, what is it that I like that the single sex schools are getting it right? getting it right and what can the co-ed school that I'm choosing provide? What do they provide that will maybe help to reach certain aims like confidence? And so you're able to start reflecting on, okay, single sex co-ed, I like this. Can this other school meet some of my criteria? And if it does, amazing. Then there's also the selective versus non-selective school debate. Now, non-selective schools typically take any child and they're proud of it because their aim is to provide excellent education for all children, regardless of their academic ability. And they focus on adding value to your child. You know, they will say that we're not a hothouse, for example. Now, if a non-selective school gets results, they should be proud because it's a real testament to how closely they work with children to get exceptional results because they're non-selective and their places are typically offered on a first come first serve basis. In this instance, it's best to apply early when you're pregnant, when your child is one, two, three, just please don't leave it late or they may be full and it's possible you could be on the wait list. It is however worth noting that non-selective schools are typically non-selective up until your child is five. After that, if your child is moving and maybe wanted a place to, you typically have to do an exam, an assessment, and you'd be given an offer based on your results. So having said that, these assessments may be easier to get than maybe, let's say, a highly selective school, but I'm not sure about that. The selective schools, on the other hand, are very different. They will be looking for a child that demonstrates something the school cares about. For example, a natural curiosity for learning. So here your child needs to go to a, what's called a four plus assessment. This is when your child gets assessed by the school for an hour on their own and they'll look at your child's ability to look at phonics, maths, communication skills, if they're able to listen and follow instructions. Also, they wanna see what your child gravitates to when they play. And they also do seven plus assessments because they often do another intake at that age range. Now, some parents get really nervous about this and get their four-year-old or six or seven-year-old a tutor because they think, oh my gosh, I really want my child to get a head start and to shine in these assessments. But I strongly advise against this because schools can often tell if your child has been tutored or is naturally curious. And they are looking for children that are 
naturally curious, for example. And so it can actually work against you because they want to see what your child is like naturally so that they know what they're working with. Because often kids that are tutored a lot, once the tutor is there, they actually start to struggle. Now, the best way to get an offer from these highly selective schools is to have a child that is naturally well-behaved, curious, confident, polite. And that takes a lot of effort. And that is something that you have to work towards from the minute they were born. And so I was actually having this conversation earlier when I was having a chat with my husband. And I said to him, when I've been a stay-at-home mom and I've missed out on growing in my career or growing my business. And I've had my doubts and I thought, what was this for? I mean, I didn't realize that I'd still be doing some aspect of nappy changing when my kids were much older because, you know, you potty train and everything. And I remember thinking, what have I got to show for myself? And I knew that I wouldn't know what my children would be like until they were adults. And that's like 30 or whatever years from now. But once I started taking my daughter to her assessments and I started to see, you know, offer after offer after offer after offer, I realized, you know what, it does pay in a different way to really be attentive to your child, to really support your child, to nurture your child, to love your child, to make sacrifices for your child. Because even if you have all the money in the world, if you don't really invest in your child's development, when these key milestones come up, it can be harder for your child to get in because they're just not that way inclined. You know, they are shaped differently. They are wired differently. And that is perfectly okay. Parents have a really hard time with the fact that the child didn't get an offer. It, it knocks their confidence. And so if you want to send your child to these elite selective schools, it's really, really worth noting that it's super important to think about how you raise them at home instead of getting a tutor, how you raise them at home, because that will give them the best possible chance of being able to get accepted wherever you like. Then there's a school with a nursery or without a nursery. Now, private schools with nurseries often enroll children from the ages of two or three. Now, these nurseries are more like preschools because they are only term time. And these nurseries are their way of feeding into the pre-prep. They use this to get to know your child, to form a relationship with your child, and also with yourself. And they also best prepare the children for reception onwards. Now, If you have one child and you want to stay at that school, this is super helpful because your child can settle and naturally progress into the school. And it's just so easy and effortless because they'll have some of their friends and they'll know their environment and it's just great fun. But also if you have more than one child, it's great because you can drop one child off at nursery and At the same time, you can drop off the other child at the school. And so you end up being able to do school drop off and pick up at the same time. Now, it is worth noting that very good private schools with very good nurseries get full early because these nurseries are great for preparing kids for pre-prep. 
not just at that school, but at any school. So if you want a place at a nursery like this, and maybe you need full, full days, or maybe you need a certain or specific number of days, it's really important that you apply early, like when you your baby is born or be definitely before your child hits one or as close to one as possible, because it increases your chance of being able to get the nursery slots that you want from when they are aged two. You can always apply later because they generally do have places later, but you might not be able to get the places that you want. There are also schools obviously without a nursery. Now these are prep schools or pre-prep schools that essentially start from the age of four. And with these schools, you just need to figure out whether you want to send your child to a different preschool or different nursery before that, and just really making sure that they are in a really great space and in a great nursery that will best support their communication skills and their phonics and their math so that when they are doing an assessment or when they start at another school that did have a nursery, that your child feels comfortable and is able to not only get a place, but is able to kind of keep up with the rest of the class. It is worth noting that kids that are already at that school and in that nursery do tend to be prioritized. So it's super important that you make sure that you get in touch with admissions people and just let them know that you really want a space and that you know, you're not putting them in that nursery just simply because they are already at a nursery and you don't want to change them too much, but that you really want a place so that you are high on the waiting list or you are high on the list as a priority. Then there's the option of going to a, a prep school and the option of going to a through school. So with a prep school, you're typically looking at a school that is focused on preparing your child for senior school. Now, these schools typically take children from two or four, depending whether they have a nursery or not, up until the age of 11 or 12. The amazing thing about this is that they educate your child, your child develops friendships, but once your child is reaching the age where they need to start making a decision about senior schools, the school is typically amazing at guiding them and preparing them for which private school is best for them when they're looking at senior schools. And some really good schools will not only do that, but they will also prepare the child from really early on to maybe year three, year four, not necessarily having the conversation, but giving them the right education, the right skills, so that when it comes to comes time to doing their exams, they're actually able to not only pass, but also get scholarships. Some schools have an excellent track record of educating children so well that they get scholarships. For example, I know that at my daughter's school, sometimes have 30% of the students end up getting a scholarship, whether it's a full scholarship or a partial scholarship, an art scholarship, a sports scholarship, a music scholarship, which can be really helpful if you, you are sending your child to another senior school and maybe the senior school has higher fees and a scholarship would be greatly appreciated. So it is worth factoring in if you want your child to have a higher probability of getting a scholarship to send them to a school that it has a very good track record of doing that. There are also through schools. So these are schools that offer education for your child from like four to 18. These schools typically have a very good reputation if it's a very good school. And 
sometimes parents like to put the child in at the prep school to try and increase the chances of the child getting into the senior school because the senior school is the one that's really renowned. But it's really important that you know that just because your child is in the prep school, it doesn't necessarily mean that they will actually stay for the senior school for a couple of reasons. One is that your child might want to change once they start to reach the age when they can go to a different school, a different senior school, they might want something different. And this happens a lot. And so if your heart is set on the senior school, it might be worth not putting them in too early so that they don't get school fatigue and school boredom and that the senior school ends up being something new and fresh for them rather than being something boring they want want to kind of step away from. The other thing that's also worth noting is that sometimes children that do go from the prep school and try and go all the way through, sometimes they start dropping off after they start senior school. So maybe if they're in year eight, year nine, year 10, basically before they do their big exams, before they graduate and decide whether to go to university and whatnot. This school fatigue thing is a real thing that happens. I remember an admissions person saying to me, try not to pick a school for your child's life. You know, we don't pick a career for life. We change, we move. And so just bear that in mind that it's okay if your child wants to change. And if you're willing for your child to make that change, that's fine. But if your heart is really set on the senior school, just really keeping that in mind. One last kind of school debate is really the boarding versus day school. Now I find boarding quite interesting because I, as a mom, had never considered, you know, putting my children in boarding schools because I'm a nosy parent. I want to ask them how the day was at school. And obviously you can talk to your children, but I want to be able to pick them up from school. I want to, I want to see everything. I'm nosy. And I never really thought about boarding. However, there's so much that I've learned about boarding. Boarding can offer your children an incredible education and a, a very different kind of education. If you look at the typical day of a child that's maybe at boarding school, it's not the same as a day school. They can actually spend a lot of time outdoors during the day because their days and their weeks are structured differently. They can also have maybe one day a week when maybe parents are allowed to come and visit the school, which I didn't know. And they can can also have great facilities, great clubs, and just create provide a, a, an amazing student life. The key thing with boarding is to think about your child. You know, it, do you have a close relationship with your child? You tend to find that children that are very attached to the parent and parents that are very attached to the child really struggle with boarding because even if they go to an amazing school, the child is still pulling towards their mom and dad because they just want to be with their mom and dad. But if your child is maybe peer orientated and maybe you love your child, but maybe that attachment bond isn't as intense and you are okay with them being away for a little bit and you checking in and obviously spending as much time as you can with them in the summer or whenever they're off, then boarding can be a great option. Also, it happens to be that some of the best schools in the country are boarding schools. And it's also a gender thing. For example, if I was to have a son, I might be more willing to send my boy to a boarding school than with my girls. I don't know why. I need to maybe 
to look into that, but it's just a thought. So really think about your child, really assess your child. Do you think they are ready to board? Because, you know, boarding schools can start earlier than most people think. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Now, last but not least, there's also lever destinations. So where do they go? Not every school is the same. A lot of private schools are good, but not every private school is the same. The key question here is, do you want to send your child to an elite senior school? What are the benefits of an elite senior school? For example, we've heard about the old boys network where a lot of people that make up our politicians, our leaders, the banking industry, a lot of industries, a lot of the professionals that hold really senior elite prominent positions attended a small cluster of schools. And when you look at the alumni of nine leading boys public schools known as the Clarendon schools, they are 35 times more likely to reach the most powerful elite positions. Research also shows that an alumni of elite girls schools are 20 times more likely than other women to reach elite positions. They are also more likely to follow particular channels of elite recruitment via the universities of Oxford or Cambridge, private members clubs, and also elite spouses. Who's Who, the leading biographical dictionary of noteworthy and influential people in the UK, has been published every year since 1897, and many entrants are included automatically upon reaching a prominent occupational position, whether it's an MP, judges, senior civil servants, heads of public bodies, dames, knights, poets, and heads of museums and large art organizations. The rest are selected based on a noteworthy professional appointment or sustained prestige, influence, or fame. Now the paper published in the British Journal of Sociology of Education finds that 50%, 50% of women in who's who, who have attended these elite girls schools also attended Oxford or Cambridge. So why say this? It depends on what your hopes and dreams are for your child. If you are thinking about your criteria list, it may be that you don't care what they do when they graduate. But if you are someone who values the idea of your child having a greater chance of success and being surrounded by people that are successful and having opportunities that maybe you wish you'd have had, or maybe you have had yourself, then it's worth noting this in advance so that you can make the right decisions. It's important that you look at which schools students go to when they finish prep school. So do they get into this elite network or do they not? And if you're thinking about universities, do they get into the university or do they not? Make sure you choose a school that makes it easier for your child to reach their potential. That's a lot. I've shared absolutely everything that I can think of to really help you find the right school and also get the offers that you want so your child can have the best start to their education, they can enjoy their education, they can enjoy their childhood, and they can be instilled with the values and principles that you care about, and they can also 
be in the best position to hopefully have a successful and happy future. I hope you like this podcast. If you do, please give it a thumbs up if you're watching this on YouTube or please give it a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening to this on. I am actually going to be sharing maybe some tools that could be useful for you on my website. So please do stay tuned or depending on when you listen to this, maybe by the time you listen to this, it will be up. But I am planning on sharing some of my spreadsheets and my guides that I use to help compare the schools against my criteria and also looking at budgeting and costing and everything if you're looking at private schools. I mean, this sheet is my, it's my, godsend. It's, it's been amazing because it's really helped me to quickly compare schools, even comparing the, you know, the small details like clubs and which, which schools have which clubs at which ages and what opportunities and stuff like that. So I will be creating that resource and I'll put it on my website as soon as I can. It's not going to be up the second this podcast goes up because I need to modify it so that it's something that you can use. But by the time you listen to this, if this episode has been up for a while, it will most likely be up. But anyways, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching this show. Please do share it with a friend that you think might be feel like it's helpful for their school search. I am so confident that if you follow some of the tips in this video and you think about some of the things I've mentioned, you will without a doubt find the right school for your child and get the offer that you're looking for. Thanks so much for, so much for watching and I shall see you again next week. All right, bye.